Hello, and welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast once again. Yes, I'm Randy. I am, well, I, I guess it's not even alleged anymore. It's confirmed. It's uh, confirmed. Tried confirmed? and convicted Mike. Tried and convicted. Wow. <laughs> they let you off for good behavior or? <laughs> oh, they, they let me off for bad behavior. Oh, all right. I, I refused to use my powers for good. Instead, I used them for awesome. Good choice. <laughs> I approve. I approve. All right. Well, hey, welcome to the show, Ed. Yes, we are. Together, form the gestalt of the literary two-headed Eden of gaming podcast. And, oh, screw that up. I just right <laughs> off the bat, didn't I? Yeah, I don't know why. I want to say Titan, because I think we're almost, like, at 300. I feel like we've, we've kind of upgraded, so maybe we're the two-headed Titan. Oh, man. I, I, I don't know that... Uh, uh, I, I've never heard of a two-headed titan. Well, maybe. You know. But, I, you know, if number of episodes quantifies as growth of the creature. Uh, maybe we, we got some class We may have surpassed Eden status. I, that would be kind of cool. I, I hope it works like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that's probably why I'm stumbling over it. Because I kind of think we're maybe overdue. I don't think we deserve that much credit, though. I oh, mean, yeah? We are the gaming podcast that makes the brassiere of sleep smoke seem festive and fun. So. Yeah, yeah, I did hear that uh, <laughs> we were used for putting patients to sleep with, before root canals. <laughs> uh, the, with the brassiere of uh, sleep smoke in the old edition, didn't it make uh, a creature after the party had fallen asleep? Didn't something come out of the brassiere and then yeah, like, yeah. attack the yeah, party? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know you're gonna want your coffee cup here. You know this 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 podcast is dangerous. You yeah. know we're, we're oh, like boy, we'll, we'll slip you a Mickey, and then while you're out, that's when the Umber Hulk crashes through and, and mingle up the words. No matter how often I prep, I, I go through a little prep beforehand to get all my you know, wish mouth out, and I just see the truth. But I do like the fact that we have over the years we're just looking through uh, some of our playlists. Uh, we've covered a diverse amount of topics, and we're still coming into some new ones. Uh, got a lot of good feedback from the Battletech community. They really liked us talking about it. And I think maybe uh, we will uh, take a look at uh, some of the better moments of Battletech. And, uh, oh, they've got an enormous backlog of material. Yeah, uh, I think uh, they've come out with a new mo uh, adventure module that combines both role-playing and uh, uh, the board game. Which, uh, yes, uh, the uh, Arano restoration from Hairband Games. I mean, it's part of MechWarrior 5, but yeah, it um, it reads really well. And boy, that's not a really good campaign to play a mercenary unit through. You you end up uh, hard scrabbled and end up uh, as mercenary princes at the end. Oh man, so this is more of a uh, in the almost Pathfinder-esque tradition. Yep. It, it has the full length as a campaign setting and adventure path. Right. It, it, you have, uh, not to give any, if you played the video game, you know what's happening. Basically, you come to the behest of a per periphery uh, princess who's gotten kicked out of her house and you go to <laughs> that's, that's a great princess name. Princess Periphery? Yeah. Okay. Princess Periphery. I, All right. No, well, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But a periphery princess. So. But yeah, it's a good one. So we've had some good feedback on that. And uh, yeah, the Rutger Hauer, uh, people come up and said, hey, that's, you know, pretty insightful about uh, um, Rutger Hauer, but you missed a few shows. And, oh. and that just always hits me because no matter how 
extensive you think you know about Rutger Howard. There's always somebody out there that has a little bit different. And that adds a lot to that cat's... Oh, very. Uh, his influence in cinema and, you know, in, in culture. He's... I will always remember him as Roy Batty. Well, I I really liked the movie A Breed Apart. Uh, you know, it, not everybody's favorite, but uh, I enjoyed the heck out of that one. Yeah. Uh, and it's, again, one of those lesser-known 80s movies. But and then... Everybody has. Like, if, if you were there in the 80s watching movies, everybody has, like, oh, yeah, Rutger Hauer. You know, something. It could have been The Hitcher. It could have been Blade Runner. Uh, but, hey... You know, he he brushed up against your memory of film somehow. That that's, I believe the term for that is ubiquitous. Yeah, he was he's he's everywhere. He's like Santa Claus and the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we've had a lot of fun. We're just looking back at it, and uh, yeah, we're we're really happy with things uh, and our listeners. So you know, again, what a great community we fostered, and it seems like it's starting to come back. We're, we're trading beams now on our Facebook page, which seems to be pretty cool. <laughs> Back in my day, we used to color dice with crayons. Okay, Grandma, let's get you back into bed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, dice? We're going to cut them out of chips. Put them in paper cups. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I never did that, but I did like, why? I mean, what kind of, oh, it must have been a, and I lived in a time where you could go get dice at the hobby store. And I was like, I live in an enlightened age. Those poor pitiful wretches that had to cut shits out and place them in paper cups or uh writing a number on each side of a poker chip you know like uh, you got your one mm-hmm. you know your two your three your four your five your six your seven your eight uh, and then throwing them all in a blind bag and that's how people would find their numbers you know that was you know pre-dice role-playing although i did love the article that uh, came out some time ago on the jazz polyhedrons uh, oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a game that uh, had, I guess, this dates back to like the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, polyhedron dice, uh, multi, you know, uh, die four, die eight, and things like that. Yeah, die 12. Uh, you really didn't see very many of those uh, in existence at all. But that helped but, determine the 4 4 temple, yeah. Yeah, uncanny. Yeah. I, so, so that's what you you know a little dice history there it's not necessarily you know traditional game gamey history, game but, oh yeah you know what but dice are dice man it's it's vintage dice uh, that's as cool as that those ancient roman uh 12 siders that like nobody can figure out exactly what they were for oh well, you got 20 seconds yeah, yeah. And, and we're so, still not they were playing certain they were playing papers and paychecks <laughs> game of the far future where you Worked as an office bureaucrat, trying to make <laughs> yeah. it's the next level of accountant. Collection of Roman legionnaires and engineers sitting there, <laughs> like, well, you know, uh, it's not our shift. Uh, we've got eight hours to sleep and then eight hours to do whatever we want. So, uh, anybody want to play papers and paychecks? It's the game of the far future. <laughs> uh oh, got to pay your mortgage. Oh, oh man. Roll for versus divorce. <laughs> oh. That extra bitter affair really comes back to bite you in the ass, doesn't it, Greg? Oh, yeah. That's what I get for being a playboy. Oh, pass me the gazpacho. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, today we're talking about critical role. Yeah, that, that controversial, but strangely influential and ubiquitous. Yeah, we're not. Uh, 
we're not kidding here. It's long overdue. I mean, honestly, we probably should have... We've referenced them in other episodes in a lighter sense, okay? Critical Role has come up as a facet of modern gaming and, like, the, the internet and the community and things like that. But what we haven't done is really deep-dived on the subject of this phenomena. Uh, we, we have not given it the credit that is due, and it is not out of, like, some form of contempt. Uh, it is purely out of, uh, you know, we, we really wanted to save it for a, a episode-level event because, well, they deserve it. I know it's contentious, but however people feel about uh, Critical Role as a show and its impact on gaming overall, I honestly see it as a massive uh, point of common cultural reference that has just happened in this last decade. You know, yeah. less than that. It, I mean. it, it definitely has cropped up and it's become quite the thing. And um, while we're having a retrospective of our own starting off, it's appropriate that we kind of guided in there is that as old hands at gaming as, as well, we have a lot to celebrate in this. I've, I've watched a lot of episodes with my wife and she totally enjoys it, blames me for introducing her to it. <laughs> um, you but, got me into this, now I have to wait until there's another season of this. Which, I don't know, uh, can you tell me if another season is already planned? Oh, Vox Machina? Yes. Oh, uh, Vox Machina? Yes, yes. Yeah, I know that the gaming pod, you know, uh, live the, cast yeah, is live still cast going is to be underway, but uh, I was curious as to whether the cartoon... Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, so we're going to talk about both. We're going to talk about the phenomenon. We're going to talk about its highs, its lows, and yes, including the Wendy's episode. Because, hey, we covered the Wendy's game. We didn't get any blowback off of it, but apparently they did. But before we go too far, I'm just going to usurp the Gelliscopper just for today because we're doing a listener-supported uh, idea, the listener-supported podcast. From James Brown wanted us to talk about some of the characters of the old, uh, excuse me, the old versions of editions of the game. So we're going to cover those. Coming next week, we're going to do, we're going to break out Rogue's Gallery. If you're familiar with that, that's the old... Uh, well, the, the Gelloscopper is uh, headed for retirement. Oh, well, we'll, we'll bid him <laughs> off then. He herniated himself uh, laughing too hard. Right. <laughs> uh, which hey, is I what mean, he gets for... totally irony death, but I mean, <laughs> yep, goodbye. Yeah, he broke into a dentist's office and got a hold of that tank. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> so yeah, next week we're going to do uh, a little bit of Greyhawk lore, uh, Ground Realms lore, as well as we're just going to cover the Rogues Gallery. We're going to yeah. break it open and we're going to talk about characters like Drawmage and Phoebus, if you remember. Sagig, him. you know, uh, well, and of course, like the, the legendary uh, Koss and Vecna. You know, right. The names that have become almost synonymous with early D&D &D And we're even going to talk about Black Dougal who uh, showed up on the D&D uh, character sheets. I remember that on the back of the book. As an example, <laughs> Jeff D's character, Black Dougal. Yes. So we're going to talk about stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, Rogue's uh, Gallery, if you remember it, was just a collection of NPC stats and pre-generated characters that you could quickly whip up player characters or whatever you wanted. But it also contained a lot of so-called official NPCs and characters of the Batcats at TSR at the time, including like uh, the Bloom Brothers. Brian Bloom had a character in there as well. Really? Yeah. 
All right. So we're going to talk about that. Morgan Ironwall. Mm-hmm. You know ah. what I'm talking about. But yeah, uh, an examination of some of the earliest Greyhawk lore, the pre-material that like that much of this predates the existence of actual modules. Okay. Yeah. Some of this dates back so far that it you're looking at things that were homaged as they became parts of published material. Uh, some of the invented spells, like the Big B's crushing hand, mm-hmm. or the Big B's hand spells, period, uh, they date back to players who were innovating and creating spells at the DM's behest. Like, okay, if your character is prepared to undertake the expenditure and research, uh, then you can write out a spell and I will you know, gauge whether it is uh, reasonably thought out. And many of those things that you see in the early D&D books were the creations of the players of the time and are named for Helping, their characters. Helping uh, flesh so, out the spell list. There's going to be a lot of history tidbits in this upcoming episode. Yep. And you may even find about the teeth of Del Venar. <laughs> That's always been a weird one. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, spoiler warning here. If, if Critical Role, if you don't really like it, um, hey, uh, we've got some great other podcasts looking at look up a few of those and uh you know give them a re-listen and if you got anything that uh maybe give it a listen and open up your horizons because critical role i think is a, is a force that has probably changed the scape and way we play and if you think it's kind of been a negative appeal I... hey we're gonna look i'm willing to openly acknowledge some of the negative criticism right okay and i'm not gonna, gonna cover that it completely we, so if if you truly dislike even the subject, then perhaps another podcast. But if you want to hear our take on the upsides and, and the legitimate downsides, downsides I, you know. Yeah, well, last week we said that, you know, there wasn't going to be a whole lot negative because, well, truthfully, you have to look really hard. But we did. And I think we found some stuff that uh, may be fitting for a conversation. So we're going to hash it out. So let's get underway. Let's get yeah, why don't it. we kick off with, I, I know it's a little bit of a opposite for us. We love to do the good news first, bad news later. You know, it, then sandwich it and move back to good news for the okay. ending. I'd like to start with the criticisms, and then we'll work our way to Happy Town. All right. Well, let's just lay the groundwork. Critical role, of course, if unless you've been living under a rock or just completely ignoring it. It's a web series you can find on Twitch, yeah, also YouTube streams. Um, yeah, they they own their own product. It's uh, basically eight nerdy voice actors playing. Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, it started off as a uh, fourth edition game, and then went to Pathfinder, and then went to fifth edition. So it's been through a di- numerous different editions, but uh, which tells you a lot about the fact that they are not like one-off gamers who know nothing about this stuff other than what they learned uh, at, to be at the table. Uh, they've worked in multiple systems, and they obviously, you know, like they they do have the gamer chops about them. But they are a lot of professional uh, voice actors. Yeah, they got attention on Felicia's days. Uh, she had done, uh, what was it, the Guild and the Gamers. Been doing stuff like that. And uh, they kind of got their start there. Uh, did a birthday game for one of their friends. And that was uh, what they started getting up on with. So... Yeah, so uh, you want to start out with that? If you know what, uh, Mike or Matt Mercer, uh, Mike, he's going to talk about that. But before you do that, uh, I also want to make a mention that Matt Mercer is probably, it, and uh, some of the other actors there have done a phenomenal job. He's been in what World of Warcraft, uh, Warcraft Three, 
yeah, these are voices that are in the background of a lot of products that we know and love. Okay, they're not, uh, they're not on that level of fame like uh, Billy West, right? Uh, or Patrick Warburton, Warburton who yeah. you know is thank you incredibly famous. Uh, in Seth MacFarlane, you know the other uh, voice actor classics, and of of course we mustn't forget the uh, the voice of Archer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. All right. Uh, in any in any case, uh, to to return to the core people, they're not on that scale of fame, but these are working voice actors. They are thoroughly professional. They appear in games and in shows. And, uh, wow, you know, transforming their personal like side hustle activity, like like hey, let's have a game and record it. Wouldn't it be like cool? Yeah, and please. that was when people didn't really do that. Yeah, Geek and Sundry, people have tried to uh, live cast before. We even have had uh, our previous sessions recorded on tape. Yeah, we did that back in, uh, uh, what was it, like 84? Uh, because it gave us a rewind button that we could hit and go, let's hear that on playback. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mr. Like, no, I, I didn't say that I kicked down the door and charged into the center of the room. And then you, you play back. I kicked down the door and I charged with my axe out. Mike? you run into a pit trap oh man stupid playback but we also did it just so we could relive the moment so uh, there were also some great moments that we still laugh over today that were embedded in those cassettes uh which man dated ourselves there yes it was recorded on cassette oh well you know, you know. is it real or is it memorex well uh in this case, we were there when the days when they were counted in those numbers Yes, we were among them. A fabulous time was had, but uh, (laughs) uh, there was much laughter uh, saved. And so it didn't really strike us as odd for somebody to record a game and then broadcast it. Uh, (laughs) So anyway, uh, you wanted to start out with the bad. So let's, let's do that. One of the chief complaints I've heard is the unrealistic effect uh, of expectations that this popular Uh show has had on gaming. And you know what? I don't think that's an inaccurate complaint. Okay, It it is manifestly true that this show has an impact and that it reaches a wider audience than most other gaming-related products or films or movies and things like that. And that because it depicts the actual process of gaming, unlike other forms of entertainment, this one actually implants into people an expectation of what playing a game will be like. And you know what? I think it's a perfectly accurate complaint to make that some people will get unreasonable expectations. They will demand for more from their DMs. Uh, they will be expecting uh, smoother interactions and more carefully managed play and higher quality plots. Uh, and they may find themselves disappointed with the actual game. As a criticism, I accept that entirely. But that doesn't mean that like the show needs to change the way it, it does things. It's I mean, called the Mercer know. effect, and yeah. a lot of people term it that as like it sets in that. Some people have complained that it sets an artificial expectation of what gaming should be like, and I think that they've done well to get out ahead of it. Especially Matthew Mercer is very. Uh, vocal about that he's not 
what he considers a good DM, and if other people consider him a good DM, well, hey, that's great, but there are other ones too, and everybody has their own style, their own voice, and their own approach. Maybe, yes, he is a voice actor, so his ability to change voices, which arguably has also led some people to say, they're, you hear the same seven voices repeated over and over. Sure, I am guilty of the same thing, so I don't think that that's too much of a thing where, as you're improvising as a DM, even with the enormous amount of prep work, you can often find you off your balance or caught flat-footed on something, and so you just have to drop back to something you feel is familiar. Yeah, and let's face it, most people other than professional singers have about one octave range tops. Sure. Okay, there, there's a zone in which they can work comfortably, and then there's a whole lot of stuff either above or below their range or above or below their ability level. Uh, I'm not really gonna give grief over that. They are voice actors. Uh, and they do a remarkable job. Uh, they can at least improvise reasonably well, and I'm sure they don't completely improv because now they've been doing this production for some time. I am certain that time, thought, and effort goes into preparing. And uh, perhaps I think more so than the average DM ever does. Uh, does that create an unreasonable expectation? Maybe, maybe it does. I think it, pushes a lot of newly arriving DMs uh, who, man, I want to do something like that. It does make them have to work harder. And it, is it entirely fair? I don't actually think it's it's fair or unfair. It's right. simply a dynamic that you're going to have to stare in the face. And if you really want to put in that work and like, I'm going to try to be like that, good for you on that too. But if you don't feel comfortable with that, build your own style. You know, screw their style. You don't, there is no rule well, book written right. that commands us, well, now you've got to do it in the Mercer style. No, no, I, no. I, I you think don't he's have pushed to back bound by that. people, especially some of the uh, more vocal elements of the community, which is known as critters, have tried to use that. And he's been quite uh, verbose in pushing back on that very uh, vociferously. He pushes back and saying that every DM develops oh, their own. Vociferously. Nice word. Thank you. Uh, I can speak a few words carefully. Um, Randy Patton, underbridged. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, he pushes back. And he's very, he, he, he's very vocal and uh, energetic in saying that every DM develops their own style by playing, and that's how you do it. Play, play, play. Just keep doing. There is no failure that cannot be overcome. Uh, there's always, he said, even he criticizes himself and says, oh man, I was flat. I, I'm going to try to do better next time. That's it. Every DM goes through it. And, you know, yeah. I think that he's pretty transparent on the fact that he's no great DM. He's just a DM who doesn't quit. And that is the one thing that anybody can take away from that. Now, I, I want to bring up a second, uh, like, peripheral complaint. Uh, sure. And then maybe you pick up one. All right. You're aware of yeah, I got one. Like, if I missed one. I wanted to bring up uh, that one of the complaints is, to some respect, they suck the oxygen out of the room, okay? Mm -hmm. That the sheer size and scope of their popularity has pulled a lot of attention away from other games that are of equal value or, or even like better quality games, things like that. But this is the bandwagon and everybody has run to the bandwagon uh, because you're like, oh, Critical Role is doing this. We want to be like Critical Role. And a lot of stuff is getting lost in translation. Okay, a lot of, a lot of new arriving people are putting their monofocus on things like that 
and they're not putting their focus on some of the other games. I get that as a criticism, but my this is one where I don't agree as much. Uh, people have introductions to games in different ways. And once you're in the group, you know, once you're in the club and you're looking into games and the idea of games you like, uh, most people are not crazy hostile to all other forms of gaming once they arrive. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. somebody has invited them into the fold. They've, they've been given a reason to start like interacting with the community. The other stuff will come along later. It does not matter that the first thing they encountered was a fourth edition game or a Pathfinder game that was televised. They will find their way into circles of other gamers and then holistically whether it's online or in person at a game shop or in a friend's basement at a card table, they will find their way to other games. I have great confidence in this and it does not concern me. It's like, oh, what if they only like this forever? And you're like, they're, they're locked in on that and they'll never like other games. No, I don't think that's a realistic complaint. I don't feel that that is an actual problem. I, yeah, I kind of agree that that's something where, just like with the Mercer Effect, you can dig at it and make it into something, but it's not that big of a deal when you look, get over yourself and say, we all enjoy playing a game. Um, yeah, my shelves are full of games I've only played a few times, but damn, I had fun. And you know what? Oh, yeah. The memories I've got, yeah, there are games I come back to all the time. Uh, Shadowrun. I you know, just feel like Shadowrun is like my magnum opus as far as like just I can put everything together magic myth and you know uh, skullduggery and goonery from the streets well you got orcs trolls trolls dwarves elves uh, and <laughs> high powered machine guns and fireballs uh, yeah yeah fireballs uh, and you know uh, firefights in vehicles. and I've heard people talk about riffs as uh, you know people yeah. love riffs I, it's not my cup of tea per se but you know what Play, hey, play, play. Just enjoy playing games. And that's yeah. what it's all about, using your imagination. So Didn't stop but us. But the one the thing that they did get into, I feel some... And here's a complaint that Wendy's put out a role-playing game. And they wanted to have... Um, everybody kind of... We even covered it on our podcast. Like, hey, you know, this is a thing. In terms of a phenom, it deserved coverage. We were kind of floored that, wait... Because major corporation picked up gaming. Like they barely points. even knew we were here, or at least we thought, which meant that their marketing team has some younger, hipper kids on it. Okay. They, they noticed gamers and fast food and the obvious connection. Uh, <laughs> okay. Pizzas and fries and like piles of fast food at the game table are par for the course. It's astonishing to us that somebody didn't notice us sooner. In some respects, yeah, We're, and they took they uh, Sam uh, ran. Uh, oh goodness, what is his last name? Sam. I forget. I forget that guy's name. That one person, but it's uh, your name. Yeah, uh, he. Uh, <laughs> we cannot go ahead. Sam. Well, he ran them through it. Yeah, Sam Regal. I'm sorry. Yeah, he ran him through it, uh, dressed up as a Wendy's drive-thru employee, and you could really see that Matt, he was really getting some revenge on Matt, and there was some side eye. I thought the episode was hilarious. However, people said, oh, hey, you're selling out to corporations, and, and you know, Wendy's has a bad record with this thing, and oh, okay, 
I hear that, but here's my pushback on it is, look, um, like Mike said, they barely noticed we were there. And yes, it is a crass marking attempt. But you know what? Sometimes I like being catered to. I, I felt it was worthy, not because I wanted to give them a giant kudo of any kind, but it was it worthy as a topic. And the fact that it happened at all was worthy of notice. Okay, it, it should be stopped and looked at and examined, positives and negatives aside. Uh, giving it the absolute silent I did like that when it gets the, the Clown King I, I yeah. think, and, and the Burger King as well. Yeah. 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 That, that was good. Uh, uh, but, you know, they did their coverage of it, and I'm sure Wendy's probably treated them uh, to something unlike us. Yeah, but it got a lot of pushback from the fans, and they scrubbed clean of their entire uh, itinerary of it. You can't find it anymore, um, which I kind of think is a shame. And they had a controversy with an earlier player. They just completely removed him, uh, especially when they did the Vox Machina. There's no trace of that guy to be found. Oh, But you know, it was a little sour grapes when it left, and uh, it lingered, and they just didn't want to get involved with it. So now, when we return from the break, we're going to start hitting some of the positive notes, some of the things we like and love. Yeah, so hopefully you stuck around for that, and if you liked what we had to say, we'll uh, be getting back to you, so enjoy the break. All right, and we're back from the break. Yeah, we have returned. Now, we launch into the more positive aspects, okay? Yeah. I mean, which, some of which are so self-evident. I mean, the sheer, from 4th edition through Pathfinder rules to 5th edition, um, it, notably 5th edition, the popularity that they have slowly accrued online, and believe me, I mean, I'm not going to take that away from them. They earned every bit of it by just grinding away like... Hey, all right, so we don't have a million views on day one. Did that stop them? No. No, it did not. They slowly built up, uh, and system by system, they, they worked their way through multiples. And here they are now, uh, being a driving force for active engagement in uh, online and in-person gaming. Uh, wow. Uh, accusations of unfair expectations aside, having people who emerge into this market who are looking forward to it i never see that as a negative okay having people like excited by the idea of like man i really want to try this because it looks like it, it's going to be fun and the majority the overwhelming majority of people might have some unreasonable expectations, but they will navigate their way through that emotionally as like an adult. Yeah. And they will go, oh, well, it's a little different than I thought, but I still had a pretty good time. Man. I, I really don't see that as that big of a thing. I mean, maybe it is, maybe I'm just not uh, glued into that based on my own personal biases. But my experience has always been telling me that, hey, one thing that's come out of Critical Role is the fact that there is a lot of examples and good style of play that if this were the worst thing to happen, like, you know, you were to use your first brush with gaming and DMing and expectations as a player, was to have this as your bar for entry, 
it's not a bad one and it's not i don't think it's too high no i don't think uh, the bar is high at all and i also think and i'm going to go on a limb on this one that a lot of pizza distance popularity is due not just to the game design but to how these folks really crafted it and now to be totally honest uh if you didn't know who the uh cast is matthew mercer that we've been talking about He's the dungeon master primarily. He's played a couple characters, but there's Ashley Johnson, Travis William, there's Laura Bailey, Liam O'Brien, uh, Taylor and Jay, and Marisha Ray, uh, Sam Regal, and they've just recently had a few others creep in. Uh, they've had a lot of guests, including um, oh, ah, uh, geez, who was that? I'm gonna try to remember the actor from. The Walking Dead, who uh, Joe Manganiello. Oh no, 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 no! It would be awesome if they got him on that show. That would be great. I well, he's been that. on there, yes. Okay, he, he played a dragonborn paladin it's called Arkan the Cruel. But uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the actor. Uh, it's probably is right on there. They've had Will Wheaton on there as well. How could they not? Well, of course, and also Chris Perkins. I mean, they're just wired into nerd culture here. Okay, I mean they are. Uh, despite any people's claims of inauthenticity, these are authentic nerds. Okay, they they <laughs> they do have the chops. They belong. Okay? Carrie Payton. We we shouldn't be like keeping yeah, the gate Payton on this. Yeah, Carrie Payton is played uh, on the Walking Dead. Played Ezekiel, King Ezekiel on the Walking Dead. He was there. Aww. Yeah. So they've had a lot of uh, walk-ins and guests, and that's kind of the way I think a good campaign should have. You should have a few uh, walk-ins and guests, and how they incorporate them has also been. Many people have always asked, how do I handle a player who is only going to be here for a couple of sessions? Hey, here's a way that they've made an example of this. And I, I get that, you know, there are people who feel that it raised the bar too high. And that in our more positive side uh, of the, the examination, mm -hmm. I want to highlight exactly why I think that's uh, an, an extremely inaccurate thing, okay? It's not okay. raising the bar too high. If you look at the campaigns that they have run mm -hmm. uh, and the performances that they've put on, uh, they have, I admit, increased in complexity somewhat sure. uh, as time has gone on. But the characters have backgrounds uh, and you know backstories of some degree, not always like monumental. Uh, but the characters, personalities, backgrounds, and things like that have occasionally played into the campaigns. Uh, and the campaigns have a, well, I mean, for the most part, they're original material. Okay, Th these are like almost all new ideas coming out of uh, Mercer and I don't know who collaborates with him or if anybody collaborates with him on creating a campaign setting and the events they're in, but much of it is like the DM's authentic creativity. My answer to those who contend that like this is setting a very high bar for people to be engaged in actual role play as their character, uh, instead of just I, I came to roll dice and like tally damage results approach. Uh, wow, are you missing out on an absolute ton of gaming? I'm mm -hmm. not, if, if that is what you do and you have a good time doing it, by all means, go do that. I have enjoyed some good dungeon bash with no trappings whatsoever. That's fun too. But to characterize this as the wrong kind of gaming 
is incredibly disingenuous because I have done this kind of gaming too, and it is great. And having an example out there so that people can literally see how it's woven together. Okay, this is not some arcane, hidden thing where nobody knows how it works. They're watching it done live. Uh, they're and getting the lesson that they need to be able to do these kinds of higher bar level role playing. Uh, and, and even if they have great. some pre-scripting or talked it over with a few people, there's still plenty of surprises that are in the campaign that throw them for a loop, the whole player cast. I yeah. mean, some people say, oh, they, they plan this ahead of time and they already practiced. And some of it, yes. There's going to be like, okay, there's going to be a scene here that I think that you need to be prepared for. Because you can catch people pretty flat-footed in a role-playing encounter. If you drop the bomb, like, remember your father who you said was the uh, was killed by the evil warlord. It turns out that he is the evil warlord. Dun, 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 dramatic. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. Or, <laughs> or the, the hero that you idolized has returned as a revenant. Mm. Their rotting flesh is still marching towards their ultimate goal. And I just have to say that out of all that uh, gesture uh, played by Laura Bailey in the uh, second campaign, Oh my God! It just—it's like my little—the best parts of my little sister, all over again. <laughs> just, just whimsy and all humor. over the freaking place, and just never giving you a moment of privacy. Yeah, you will never have peace and quiet. Doesn't exist. Um, the the younger sibling you love to hate. Yeah, and well, don't hate. It's not hate, hate. But, but yes, they had. I think that it makes they, you face palm a lot. Yes. There's a lot to say in how they presented this, uh, their campaigns, which is Taldori, which, um, hey, by the way, they have a great original show. material. Yeah, they made it uh, available. Uh, Wizards just picked it up. And, you know, well, they should. I think one of the big things is that they have, for once, finally broken that barrier and that there is sort of a glass ceiling where you can see what good DMing is. You hear about it. You hear about the legends of old and other various storied game masters around your place or of gaming or whatever. But here's a full example that is not only on display, but is happening right now. And I think that was what was needed to push fifth edition over that, <coughs> pardon me, over that next hump. We had a lot of attempts in the past of people writing books and articles about how to game master effectively and authoritatively. And they were well-written but let's face it, sometimes it's better just to show people. And here you have yeah. just not a dungeon master sitting and passively telling an audience how to do it, but is actively engaged in the campaign. We learned by going to cons, okay? I mean, if you've ever like gone to a con and played uh, eight <clears throat> different games in 48 hours, okay? And you had eight different uh, game masters, gamekeepers, uh, dungeon masters, what have you, you, you had eight different person's styles talk to you over a weekend. Uh, you, if you were a DM yourself at those cons, you also paid attention and you picked up tips and tricks. And like, wow, that guy was fantastic. Or like, you remember that girl that ran the Call of Cthulhu campaign? Mm. She was the bomb. She nailed it. I was terrified. Like the, I think it was... 
Uh, the name of that adventure was like a nail through your chakras. Yeah. I want to hear you scream. A nail through your chakras. I had a great time. Okay. It was like reminiscent of elements of, uh, you know, uh, horror uh, and like, what is it? The Serpent in the Rainbow, the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, man. All right. She pwned it. And I had a great time. But I watched and I learned. And that's what people are doing with Mercer. He's not perfect. He has strong suits and weak points. And also but, the, the cast, the other players, the various yeah. ones. There's always something. If you're playing a barbarian, <laughs> you cannot do any better than have Grog as your power code. <laughs> I mean, your spirit animal, my spirit animal is Grog. And yes, the <laughs> scandal and the horny gnome bard. Oh my gosh. I mean, just unashamed. And uh, so let's transition a little bit to Vox yeah, let, let's... Machina, the, the animated series. So yeah, we, we here was a Kickstarter that just like <laughs> blew all the doors off. This, this is not what people expected or planned. Okay, this was not how, like, we didn't think it would happen like this. Uh, it's like, hey, what if we made a little cartoon about our characters? And the internet gathered as one and said, take my money. <laughs> okay, just very uh, Futurama, Billy West, you know, just <laughs> take my money. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and uh, in it, addition, they've also just that this the amount of money they've raised for charities over the years is a massive amount, and uh, they just haven't all sorted it out for just uh, their own aggrandizement and kickstarters. It's been oh, sure they've also been very active in various charities, including uh, the Extra Life or the Children's Miracle Network and uh, Doctors Without Borders, as well as for Ooh. the proceeds for their Wendy's episode. Uh, all the stream revenue went right to um, for farm aid. So. Ah, which certainly you know, good cause. Right, but uh, but going back to this Kickstarter, it came out, man, it blew the doors off of even Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Oh, piles of loot flung in their direction, so much so that they actually had to keep expanding the scope of the project, and then you wind up with uh, yeah, debuting a twelve episode season on, I believe it's Amazon. Yeah, Amazon Prime. Amazon picked it up. Prime. So, no, you're going to do two seasons. Yeah. So they're engaged in two seasons to this now. And, and you know what? Let me take a minute and review as, as a guy who just literally only a few weeks ago watched the entire series. Mm -hmm. uh, not being the biggest critical role fan. Okay. Like I'm not the guy who uh, watches every single episode of critical role. I mean, I catch one here and there as I can. So I'm very behind on the events in the like actual campaigns. However, I watched the cartoon that they presented because it is culturally relevant to us as nerds and I wanted to see where they went with it. My God. Uh, this this is the entertainment level that I didn't know I wanted until I had it in my lap. It would just... Uh, wow. Uh, after going through a lot of gamer disappointments, okay, I've been through some... The Dungeons & Dragons movie? Yeah. yeah see? See, this guy knows what I'm talking about. I didn't even have to say the name of the hated one. Uh, you know, we've been through some humiliating moments where so entertainers attempted to deliver humor to like the sword and sorcery, fantasy fiction, gamer type crowd. And they flubbed it. They flubbed it so badly that we just sat there in horror. Like, what do you think we are? I mean, you, you think we're all like, 
you know, wearing adult diapers because we've had major head injuries and we no longer have control over bladder and bowel and we just sit here not even knowing if the lights are on. I, this is more like a message of hate. Like you literally physically hate us. You want us to hurt and you want us to know how much you despise us. That's what we've been subjected to. And then comes this show by gamers for gamers. And they were allowed to do a lot of what they wanted and like not have to, you know, pull punches. Yeah, they didn't have is to. Is it for small them. children? No, it is not. <laughs> no, no, it is not. Is it for gamers who like to laugh? Yes, it is. Oh my God. And laugh and drama and. Oh, laugh and cry. Okay, is, is it perfect? Is everything in it absolutely without flaws? Is there no way you can critique it? Not so, okay. Uh, it, it's got its moments where I yeah, I read the uh, New York Times said it was uh, body immature humor intermixed with uh, predictable drama, and I was like, "Well, okay." I mean, you're perfectly right; you're not wrong in any of that. But at the same time, this is. Uh, have you ever been at a game table? Nope. <laughs> Probably <laughs> I have not. clearly not, <laughs> because it was hauntingly reminiscent of all of the better games I have yeah. been involved in. Uh, I, I loved uh, the performance of, you know, some of the character actors there. They they had wonderful voicing, which, I, boy, who didn't see that coming in a show done uh, by voiceover people? Yeah, and they managed to patch it pretty well together uh, based off of their campaigns. And you know what? Every group has aspired to that. Um, and in a related note, uh, gamers that do well. Raymond Fikes, you know, they, we're finally getting the report saga. And I, I have been long anticipating of this because he's still he's a, he is a gamer at heart because Mikima Press. Oh, yeah, Mikimia Press. Mikimia, yeah. Uh, has always been out there in my heart as one of the, just like with Chaosium, not the top earner, but man, quality. Yeah, okay. Uh, the, any of the stuff I bought has always impressed me with the depth and quality because, well, not only was a writer, but he was passionate about his world and he knew about it. Feist and Mercer remind me a lot of one another. You know, that's an apt comparison, dude. I, I hadn't really stopped to think about it, but I, I can't refute that. I mean, Raymond Feist, uh, for those who may not be too sure uh, on this one, wrote a, well, the world of Midkemia and the series within started with the books Magician Apprentice and Magician Master, uh, which then expanded into a very lengthy series of novels set in the same place, some of which are, many of which are linear in nature, moving the, the plot forward, you know, generation after generation, uh, so that uh, the iterations were involving the children of some of the original characters. Yeah, uh, much like a well-run campaign. Yeah, it, it wonderfully detailed. Okay, this is not merely character studies, uh, albeit the characters are compelling and enjoyable. Uh, the detail of the world often pulls people in, and this is what has garnered him a lot of acclaim similar to that of Tolkien. I mean, it, it, it's not necessarily as weighty or as dull as, say, the Silmarillion, which, while a Tolkien fan loves it, okay, I, I do, but... You know, you, you don't get that with Raymond Feist. You get that level of engagement that you get from a book you enjoy and a story being told. And then the details also happen to be surrounding you as you read. So hats off, Mr. Feist. It couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Yeah, and you know that uh, 
we can gush forever about Critical Role, but we really love... I love Season 2, their second campaign. I was nothing against the first campaign, but the loss of Molly Mock in the first one really uh, seemed to strike a tenor. It changed the tone of the game. And yeah, the player, uh, Tails, and uh, he quickly rolled up another character. But you know what? Uh, losing a player character can be a monumental thing in a campaign, and you know, they never forgot it. So I thought that was a nice uh, touch as well. But uh, Critical Role, whether you love it or you hate it, it's here to stay, and it's made its mark. It will eventually find its way out if you're really uh, all up in arms about it. And uh, But it won't be forgotten. That's one thing. Its legacy will stay with us for a long time. And... We're going to uh, switch gears here. I was going to make a little bit of uh, a, a juncture into the Arcane Eye, but I think at this point the Arcane Eye is not going to intrude. It's going to enlighten us. And I think that the Arcane Eye has brung us, brung attention to gamers, personalities, independent games, new games, and even a few old games. And that we had escaped our attention. In this one, we're going to talk about something that's very topical. And true villainy exists in our world. And we we don't have to look far afield to find it. uh, One of the things that we can do is fight against it is show the best part of ourselves. And I think that... uh, I think gamers, uh, overwhelmingly, far beyond, like they're, they're punching way above their weight class... Uh, although we're a contentious community that often shows uh, our, our loudest voices seem to be some of our worst voices, but the power of our pocketbooks, the actual actions of well-intentioned and kind-hearted and decent gamers all over the place is like a tidal wave. It's a, just a tsunami of awesome uh, that like the evidence does not match like the the pretense, the, like the the voices that you hear on the internet seem to be the negative ones. They really are nowhere near as powerful as the concerted action of thousands upon thousands of gamers. Uh, you know, the the best in us is stronger than the worst. Yep. And tabletop role playing games for trans right in Texas is a bundle being supported on itch.io. And it has already raised over $300,000 in just the first few days it's been open. And it is open for 24 days at the time of this podcast. And they're trying to raise over $400,000. And this is to support networks that lend support to the families and, you know, family members of people in Texas who are presently being presented with laws that literally call into question their right to even discuss the subject openly as adults or to have children and not take hostile action against them. Yeah, almost Uh, stripping uh, families apart under the pretense of child abuse. If you don't disavow your child or you proudly announce that your child is 100% wrong in this, then you face the actual theft of your child by the state. A thing that Previously, Texas, you know, they were really normally big in the camp of the state should keep their hands off your kid. It seems that that is not the actual principle they hold to. Uh, if we politically disagree with your family, we'll steal your child. That's, yeah. that's the new law. 
So, so to help oppose this, a uh, fundraiser has been raised for the Transgender Education Network of Texas, T-E-N-T, Tent, and the Organizaciono Latina de Trans um, Texas. I just totally made on that, the O-L-T-T. Uh, both of those organizations are supporting families and diverse equality throughout Texas in also education on an individual community and corporate level and legislative level. They also provide emergency relief fund grants to trans people in need. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, coming out swinging, yes, uh, yeah, pretty much firmly opposed to, you know, like, uh, agree with us politically or we'll steal your kid. Yeah, pretty, pretty down with, like, let's oppose that. Right. And now, for gamers, this bundle. Yeah, they've organized a nice bundle. This material, uh, they put out the word, like, we would like some people to include some stuff in this bundle. What does it tell you about artists and creatives in the gaming community that they didn't get? Uh, did they get five items, Randy? No, they got. Did they get fifty? Nope. Nope. Did they get a hundred? They got three hundred creatives and designers to come aboard and give over four hundred and ninety-five products, various titles, and we've been looking through them. And there's so many to list. We're just going to cover a few, and oh, these are dude. just ones that stuck out to us. My, the one that come out to me is, of course, Room Karen the Viking. Um, yeah, if you're asking yourself, okay, is this bundle in exchange for support? For $5. Yeah, for like five bucks. That's that's your entry fee for the PDF. You can size. pay more if you want. Yeah, you can give more if you want. It, that's up to you. But for that five bucks, if you're thinking that these are just games that are uh, all going to be skewed in, in some direction or some interest that you wouldn't enjoy them. Oh no, oh no. Having looked through this, it is a cornucopia. There is so much in here that I absolutely have to have. So, like, support aside, this was already a done deal as I looked at the game pile. Uh, Rune Cairn. Yeah, by uh, Odin's Beard Game. I mean, a science fiction game called Lost Among the Starlit Wreckage. My God, just which the is, title which is was actually it's a, it's a storytelling uh, game between two uh, mech warriors that survive. Yep. And how you play that out demon crawl gothic gothic yeah An old school dungeon crawl with just yeah yeah the enemies are enemies and you know what to do next yep but it's gonna get dark uh, now you're right. a paladin in hell so and you've got all the aventer what are you gonna do use it it seems obvious at this stage now that doesn't mean that there aren't some ribald items on this list yep. including thirsty sword lesbians yep if you're familiar with that game it's a storytelling game of queer and transgender uh, fantasy, sword and sorcery and dueling. Yeah. So, thirsty sword lesbians, yep, that's there. <laughs> or silly games like Every Wizard Has a Hat. Or Jonathan Frakes wants your attention and don't give it to him. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, or or it, also in the silly but I think irresistibly fun category. Punch Town! The Town of Punches! Which gave me like a, i'm totally triggered I, I had junior high flashbacks all all yeah that, that that was our that was our town um <laughs> welcome to that where you solve problems by punching them and it usually sometimes works i don't and that includes punching the wind <clears throat> uh, the tree the leaves in the tree are rustling i punch them okay roll <laughs> yeah that's, that's they stop uh, idle hands make the devils work <laughs> uh, yeah, or, clerics uh, working for the double. Sword Quest Micro Edition uh, for the Dungeon by Jordan Palmer. Uh, 
yep. smash the system, fractured kingdom, break up on re-entry, this party sucks, <laughs> the stellar beacon <laughs> hope punk issue. You can't lose. This This is one of the most gigantic and varied bundles I have ever, ever heard yeah. of. And it lifts my heart that uh, my community, you know, like the the gamers, the creatives, uh, man, they came through like crazy. Okay, they held back nothing. They they delivered like nobody could have. And this bundle is, you know, rapidly moving towards its goal. And I expect it to surpass it. So, yeah, PDFs of this, yeah, I'm going to be having them momentarily because I just found out about this today. And my level of excitement, ah, it's over 9,000. Yeah, so we usually play the Arcane Eye out for jokes, but not today. We're just, this one is not uh, anything cruel. The Arcane Eye is here to illuminate for us. So we hope it has for you. And, and we hope you it. support this fine project during these dark times. $5 is, I mean, hey, if you can't do it, you can't do it. I completely understand. And we'll be eyeballing what, uh, what can be done to support Ukraine. Uh, yep. I currently have noticed that the uh, one of the more interesting trends was uh, Ukrainian B&B, you know. Uh, yeah, there's a uh, there's a relief package for uh, uh, Ukrainian TTRPG stuff coming up. Yeah, renting uh, spaces at bed and breakfasts and things like that that are being used. I believe in, Mike Stackpole's uh, heading that one. Yeah, and uh, Eastern, uh, you, well, sorry, uh, Western Ukraine, uh, where the Russians have not yet endangered people. The areas that are being used to help transition refugees out of the country, those areas absolutely can use your support and there are ways to get uh, money and aid to people who are fleeing from, you know, basically having the, their homes and cities actively shelled. So any help that people can deliver there, good on you. Uh, yeah. Both big supporters here. All right. Well, hey, we hope you guys enjoyed our Arcane Eye segment here. Maybe may a little bit more. Uh, I, I know it seems sharp. a little somber and serious. We came in with uh, sharp elbows, but uh, you know uh, there was no point in sugarcoating. No, nope, there isn't. I, I don't think anything's going to be served by that. And uh, you definitely know how we feel about it. So take it for what it's worth. Now, um, yeah, we hope you also enjoyed our talk about Critical Role. Of course, if you didn't, well, hey, you know what? Gotcha. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, give us a little call in. We'll discuss it. We'll promise if you knew, if you didn't agree with anything we said, or you totally hate Critical Role, we'll, we'll talk about it. We love it. And if you hated Critical Role, I, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. You don't have to hate the cartoon because Vox Machina, yeah. Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon Prime, uh, absolutely worth the viewing time. I one of the the most entertaining 12 episode shorts i have i have watched in years okay that it absolutely lived up to everything it could have so i, I am 100% content all right but that's going to do it for us we'll see you next time so may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor we're out see ya <laughs>